Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Renee was recorded on January 26th, 2023. Hi, everyone. My name is Renee. Um, I have been in ACA about 18 months. I have been in two other 12-step programs, including AA and NA, and I have been sober almost, I always say approximately. 20 years, but it's actually closer to 28. So um, the topic I chose for tonight um, is why doesn't my adult child speak to me? I have carried so much blame and shame and hurt regarding this. It hasn't always been this way. When he was growing up, we were really tight. Um, so I thought I actually have two sons with a seven year age difference. I had my first son at the age of 22. I was not yet sober. I didn't know I had already qualified for ACA, let alone other programs. I knew I lost uh, both parents to alcohol. I lost siblings to alcohol and IV drugs. But fuck, (laughs) I didn't have a problem, right? I didn't have a problem. Knowing that, uh, and it just literally makes me laugh now that I actually thought that. But the focus is not on, on me tonight. It's my journey. Um, of what my oldest son had to endure that I didn't even realize he was going through. I didn't know that he was going through mistakes that I made. Um, he was holding it in. Um, he will be 35 this year and my youngest will be 28. The seven year difference between them definitely made a difference in how they each saw me as a mom stages in my life as I said I was 22 years old when I had my first son that was in 1988 <clears throat> so while I was pregnant I didn't drink I didn't do drugs um, before I did and I continued for a couple years after I delivered his dad was my first marriage And when I met him, I thought, this is my safe place. He doesn't drink. He doesn't do drugs. And it's going to be okay. Um, Three months into our relationship, I got pregnant. Uh, So it was very hard to tell him. And growing up Catholic, we figured that we better get married. So we were married in April, and I had my son in October. Um, Just a few months after my son, I started to realize that it wasn't going to be the serene 
life because I grew up in such chaos and dysfunction that I was literally, literally bored. So what did I do? I created that chaos. I created that drama. I created the arguments because I was bored. I was freaking bored. Motherhood just did not fill that boredom. Um, I was scared, but we decided to keep going. And then I just decided that I couldn't do it anymore. So I left. Um, and I left with my son. We had our own place. And then my son had to witness me going through sobriety, which I'm sure he's probably around the age of four or five now, four or five. And I'm sure he was wondering why mom was sick. Why was mom grouchy? <laughs> why was mom bitchy? Um, so that was always on my mind. Um, he also saw at family gatherings when he was young, you know, it's a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old party, birthday party, and there's alcohol. And then if you wanted to find other stuff, you just went to the bathroom and there it was. And yet we had all our children there. And I, and we didn't even think about it. Knowing that's what I saw growing up, that's why I carried the shame for so long. Knowing that's what I was always in survival mode about because I saw all that when I was his age and their brains are just a little sponge. Um, so when we moved, we lived close to my older brother <laughs> who happened to be dealing drugs. And my son saw the traffic and he put it all together. You know, that was another traumatizing thing for him. And I stayed a single mom for about six years, seven years. It was seven years difference between him and my other son. And I was dating my son's father for about three months. Now you have to understand I'm the baby of 10. So we used to joke and always call my mom Fertile Myrtle. And after dating this gentleman for three months, bingo. We went to Gainesville to see a Rolling Stones concert. And not only did we drink all the way to Gainesville, we drank in the parking lot at, at the University of Florida. Uh, we drank during the concert. And if you're familiar with the University of Florida, all the way back to the hotel, there's a bar. So we stopped at every bar and did shots. That's, that's what you do. And I guess we had sex, but I don't remember. Um, so a few months later, I found that I was getting the same feelings, um, kind of knew that I was pregnant and took the test and I was, and, um, I knew that I could do it by myself. I knew that I could get sober again. I knew that I could raise my son by myself. So trigger warning. Abortion was not in my thoughts at all. So I had my son and his father continued to drink and continued to drink. So I asked his dad, I said, either 
put the alcohol away or or we're gone. And his reply to me was, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. I said, okay, cool. I said, when you get home from work tonight, we'll be gone. So the two of us packed up once again. And I, I had a very good job during this time. I was I was so I was financially able to get my own home. I was financially able to take care of my children. Um and this time after delivering my son, I stayed sober. I stayed sober. It was hard again. And of course, <clears throat> my son, older son, was now in middle school and he was witnessing me going through sobriety and actually knowing what was happening. Um <clears throat> so things my oldest son witnessed of his mom so far me before going through sobriety drinking the dysfunctional family all around him I was never mean or abusive to my children I was the fun drunk but picked the total opposite in a partner I picked abusive partners I picked addicts, I picked alcoholics, I picked the people that I could fix. And these people were part of his life also. He witnessed divorce, not once, but twice, leaving the comfort of his home, his parents' home, because I couldn't make it the serenity place. It didn't fill my sick needs at the time, my need for excitement, the chaos, the fighting, the arguing, etc. Moving next to my brother, who was actively using and also a dealer, getting pregnant for the second time to a man that I knew I couldn't fix, who I knew would not be good for either either son. So that's why I thought, okay, it's time to stop. I can do this. I have a home. I have a great job, benefits. Their dads were active in their lives. Um, they did take them on weekends. When they did uh, take them on weekends, I worked other jobs because I had to financially take care of themselves. Um, I didn't have the mental support. I didn't have a mom figure to help me raise kids or babysit. Um, my mom and dad, my dad had already died. My mom was the al active alcoholic. I'm not using these as excuses. I just had to do it alone. Um, like I said, I had to pick up two or three other jobs. Um, when I worked, my sons played sports at night. So I got a job at the, at the field. So that not only could they play for free, but I could also watch them play. I was a field supervisor. Um, and I had my regular job. 40 hours a week. So basically I was putting in 67 hours of work a week as a single mom. Um, I wasn't around much. So even though I was the primary custodian, their dads had them, or I should say their dad's mom, their grandmothers. Um, I was always in survival mode, survival mode again, not only when I was a child, but now survival mode because I was a mom. So not being completely present for my oldest child had its effects. I could list every single one, but I don't have enough time in, in 45 minutes. So I'm gonna move on to my solution. 
So my oldest son makes it through high school with a 4.3 GPA. Even though I was an active alcoholic when I was pregnant with him, I knew that if I was going to be a single mom, that I had to start the college prepaid program because I wouldn't make enough for college for either one of them. So when both children were born, I had enough sense to do that. Thank you, higher power. He was so intelligent that he was he he was asked to be the valedictorian. But he thought being smart wasn't cool because of this. Because of how he grew up and what he saw. It wasn't cool to be smart. So to hide that, he became my challenge in high school. Um he was hiding behind being smart. Um, he tried everything in high school. He tried marijuana. He drank. He tried pills. I always caught him. <clears throat> I always knew, but his grades never dropped. He was just giving back to me what I gave to him. It was his revenge time. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the ACA tools at that time. Um, one time I caught him and I always, since being a single mom, I always had a, <clears throat> excuse me, concealed weapons license. And it was three o'clock in the morning and I just assumed that both my children were home, but my oldest one was sneaking back into the house, but I thought somebody was trying to break into the house. So I was at the top of the steps and I had my gun in my hand. And right when the door cracked, luckily he flipped on the light and I saw that it was him before I pulled the trigger. And when he saw the gun, I know that it affected him too. And at this time, I didn't even have time for AA. I didn't have time for NA meetings. I was so, so busy working. I was so busy trying to be the right mom. I was so busy trying to keep them busy. <clears throat> I needed my mom. I needed my mom. So I did my best for both. And both see things so differently. They both see me in such different ways. My youngest and my oldest. And I guess it's that age difference of what my first son had to see and what my second son did get to see. So my oldest goes off to college. Um, he had academic scholarships. He had athletic scholarships. And he had the college prepaid program and he chose a school in Florida. So everything would have been covered. And he said, I'm going to use the academic and I'm going to use the athletic. And I said, that's awesome. I said, when you're ready, the prepaid college money is yours. It will be yours. <clears throat> um, so when he gets to Tampa, he finds a job and he starts dating a woman that's about eight or nine years older than him. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe a mom figure. Um, so while they were dating at work and he was going to college, she got pregnant. And since she was his boss, she couldn't say that who, who, who got her pregnant because she, he worked for her. So it was kept secret. So for six months, my son had to endure questions. Who got you pregnant? Who's the guy? And never could she say that it was him and it hurt my son. It hurt my son terribly. So he changed careers while in college. Um, so finally, they could announce who the father was. 
then they had a shotgun wedding in Las Vegas and didn't invite me or his dad. Um, I came to find out that his wife did not approve of blended families. She did not approve of step-brothers, half-brothers, or divorce. So <clears throat> when I got wind of this, what I did was send an email. And of course, without any ACA tools, my email wasn't very nice. Once again, I took away his manhood with my words. I asked him, where are your balls? You own that house. If you wanted to see me or your brother, you could ask her to leave. You could ask her to go to lunch. You could ask her to go shopping and just tell her that your mom and your brother was coming over. But I guess that you can't do that. Big regret. So then we lost communication. And my granddaughter was born. I probably got to see her two times as a toddler. I haven't seen her since the age of one, and she's 10 now. I don't know her personality. I don't know her laugh. I don't know her talk. I don't know how she walks. I don't know the sound of her voice. All this time, I made my amends with my son. I owned what I did. I owned my mistake. I told him that I had been in program, that I'm continuing program. I told him when I started ACA. And we started to text back and forth a little bit. And I was getting hopeful. I was getting really hopeful. Just up until this past October when it was his birthday. I sent him a message on his birthday. And I said, hey, happy birthday. Just want to let you know I was thinking about you and love you, mom. And he wrote back, hey, mom. Because that's how we say it in Boston. Hey, Ma. Doing great. Um, your granddaughter's doing great. And I said, awesome. I said, maybe we can hook up for your birthday, me, you, and your brother, and have lunch. And he said, that sounds awesome. He said, Sunday usually works best for me. And I said, okay. Text me back. And we'll set up a place halfway and we'll meet. And... On the side, my younger son said to me, Mom, how many times are you going to open yourself up for heartbreak? He said, you have told Tyler. You have told him over and over what you have done, how sorry you are. He said, you have owned it and owned it. And then your heart breaks over and over again. And I have to pick up the pieces. <clears throat> he said, it hurts me just as much that my brother don't speak to me but I can't pick up your pieces any longer. I can't witness your heartbreak any longer. I can't witness it trigger your Crohn's any longer. So I promised my son after I sent that birthday message that if he did not reply, I was not going to reach out anymore and open myself up. He didn't reply. Thanksgiving, he didn't reply. Christmas Eve, he didn't reply. Christmas Day. He didn't reply. And this was set in October. <clears throat> About 
the first week of January, I got a text. Hey, mom, life got really busy. Sorry, I didn't get back to you. Mom didn't reply. Mom set her boundary. About a week later, I replied and I said to my son, I can't continue to own what I did. I can't continue to apologize. I have apologized 100 million times. I made mistakes. I got help for it. I went to therapy. I offered you family therapy. I didn't treat you any different than I treated your brother. I gave you everything I could. And every time I do it, you break my heart. You break my heart. I sent Christmas gifts every year up until this year to my granddaughter. I don't even know if he's told her those are from me. I have a friend that's a, she's the bakery manager at the Hard Rock Cafe in Tampa. And she also does it for a living on the side. She created the Disney birthday cake. That was so beautiful because I knew that my granddaughter loved Disney princesses and it was all Disney princesses. And she actually hand delivered it herself because I wanted her to peek at my granddaughter and tell me what she looked like. I just wanted to know what she looked like. And my son hid my granddaughter in the back room and wouldn't even let her come to the door. So now my boundaries are set and I just told him I didn't understand why you could not get back to me in four months. I said, you're not only hurting me, you're hurting your brother. Excuse me a moment. So I made my amends again, and I told him that I love you more than life itself. I will never close my door to you. It's never been closed. It's always open. But it's up to you to take the step inside the door. You cannot continue to throw in my face my mistakes. I know my mistakes. We've talked about my mistakes. I know what I've done. I know what you saw. And I still haven't heard from him. So today, with my boundaries and with the tools of ACA, I know that it's okay to set boundaries with love. I know that it's okay because I haven't shut him out of my life. He's always welcome. Every text that he sends, it will be answered. Every phone call that he makes, it will be answered. Any help that he needs, it will be answered. But the real, real work has to be done by both of us. It's no longer just my fault. It's no longer just my fault. And I have to remember that. And I have to quit living in shame. I have to be truthful. When people ask me now, how is so-and-so doing? 
I don't know. I haven't heard from him when before I would make up an entire story. How's your granddaughter? I don't know her. I haven't seen her since she was a couple months old. Not even one. A few weeks ago, me and his dad have remained very, very good friends. Very, very good friends. And we had a very long conversation. And he told me that it was easier. He said, first, I know you're confused why, why, why our son had a different relationship with me than with you. My son doesn't like conflict because he was witnessed so much conflict. And he thought that isolating from me was safer than having a conflict with me because he thought I would get angered by him not wanting to be with me because it's what his wife did not want. It's what his girlfriend before she became his wife did not want. He did not want to fight with her and he didn't want to fight with me. So he found it easier to cut me off instead of her. And I said, well, why is he so angry with me? I gave him a half brother. With you, you gave him a half brother plus five step siblings. And he said, Renee, the only reason why I get to see my granddaughter is when something breaks in his house and it has to be fixed. That's when he calls me. And I go because I want to see my granddaughter. I said, okay. I said, for 10 years now, I have been carrying around so much shame and so much blame that the words you just said could have taken that away. Why did you choose not to say it? And he said, because I figured that you would call him. And call him out on it. And I said, well, I guess that's probably right. Because that's the impression that I left on everybody. That I'm going to call you on your shit. And prior to ACA, I would have called you on your shit. And now during ACA, I still will call you on your shit. Sometimes I can't control that. That's my teenager. She's going to call you on your shit. You know, I hear fellow travelers that are in the same situation. And I want to let travelers know that it's okay to set boundaries with love. It doesn't mean that you don't love anyone. It doesn't mean that you don't want them to be a part of your life. It just means that you have a boundary. Making amends, admitting that I was powerless, admitting that I was turning it over to my higher power was everything for me. I didn't solve my problems. It just helped me. It helped me learn. When I was triggered, I would journal. Um, when it would set my Crohn's off, I would learn to journal instead of getting upset. 
I learned not to be the first to always try to open up that communication between us. I learned that I needed to let him have his time. I needed to let him have his space. I needed to let him know that when he was ready to have a relationship with me again, that it would be all about him. That if he just wanted to meet with me alone, not with his brother, not with my partner, just me and him, that any time that we spent together was going to finally be all about him, my love for him, what we would do together, what we would talk about together. And he understood. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But we do communicate more through text. We haven't spoken on the phone. We haven't seen each other. But we are communicating. I have told him about ACA. I have told him everything about my life. About when it started at 13. I have told him about his uncles. I have told him about his grandparents. I'm not hiding anything anymore. I want him to understand why I was the way I was. And the fight that I had to fight to become the mother that I was. The constant survival mode from being a youngster, younger than him when I was sexually abused. And I think finally being honest with him and finally making amends was able to open up that door just a little bit more, just a little bit more. He began to understand. <clears throat> He's now going through a divorce. And he admitted to me that he did find being with an older woman a spot that was missing from his life, which was me. He apologized for allowing her to dictate his life. He apologized for isolating from me. And those are pretty huge freaking steps for him. Huge. But I still wonder why he doesn't want to spend the time, why he doesn't want to get person. I don't, I don't know. And that confuses me. But my boundary again was to allow him his space and to allow him to figure that out without being pushy, without being nosy, without asking questions, just allowing him the space to come back. Um, so at this point in my life, I made amends. I owned my bullshit. I offered to do the therapy, I offered to do the space. We've been in contact. Um, I haven't gotten angry. I haven't written any emails. 
Um, my door is always open. My love for him has never faltered. He's my firstborn. I'm so proud of him. I want to, and I pray to my higher power, the reason that I agreed for this to be recorded. Maybe one day my granddaughter will Google me. If she doesn't get to know me, she'll hear this. And she'll know that I love her. And she'll know that every year I send gifts, cards, presents, birthdays, Easter, Christmas. That they were for me. Because this is my second time that I've shared. And the first time I didn't want to be recorded because I didn't want anybody. I didn't want my sons to ever find it. But I didn't want to be this way this time. Because that's my hope that maybe one day she will Google me when she's of age. I mean, I don't know what she's allowed to do or what she's not allowed to do on the computer. Like I said, I don't know her. I've seen pictures, but they have to be sent to me by somebody else. Nothing video, no talking. That's why I don't know her voice. But I know exactly what she looks like. And she does this all the time. Mm -hmm. That's what grandma does. Peace. I know that she loves her Doc Martens. And so does grandma. So I'm not going to give up hope because hope's all I have. I'm going to leave my door open and I'm going to always let them know that I love them. And I'm always going to hope that we can one day again have contact and maybe one day even again be a family. And I'm going to stop right there. Thank you, everybody.